Father, deal bountifully with your servants that we may live and keep your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. We are sojourners on the earth. Hide not your commandments from us. Our souls are consumed with longing for your rules at all time. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from us scorn and contempt, for we have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against us, your servants will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are our delight. They are our counselors. Father, may that be true for us this day, even as we've already sung of your great faithfulness, your great mercy, uh, your steadfast love. God, as we go to your word now to uh, learn more that we might worship you more truly, more fully, uh, God, would you be honored in this time and would your words be our very meat and drink in this day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome or welcome back. Uh, we have uh, made it now to our uh, sixth session and the last one that we'll do on the Holy Spirit, uh, which doesn't mean that you'll know everything about the Holy Spirit by the time we're done in 45 minutes, but uh, hopefully that it's been a good start. If you've not uh, been here, uh, I want you to know that, that everything that we've done in the past few weeks is available at the website. Uh, just go to the sermon section, you'll find uh, the notes uh, and the recordings that uh, our faithful Mary Miller puts up there every week for us. Thank you very much, Mary. And uh, in the first week, just as a quick uh, refresher, in the, in the first week we talked about the Holy Spirit in His person. The second week, uh, the Holy Spirit in the, uh, as the anointing in Christ. The third week, we talked about the Holy Spirit in and through the ministry of the prophets and the apostles. Then week four was the Holy Spirit in regeneration. And then last week, in progressive sanctification. And today, uh, we take just a half step back, as, as, we, as I had promised, we, we talked about for two weeks, really, the Holy Spirit in individual lives of believers, and just taking a half step back to think more broadly about the Holy Spirit in the church as, as a whole. Um, and the dividing line, as I mentioned last week, is not clear and bright because the church is made up of people, right? And so, so the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit works in the church, he's working in individual lives. So there's lots of crossover here with what we've already talked about. But today, we have three main topics uh, to, to cover. Uh, first is the illumination by the Spirit. Uh, second, uh, the unity that we have in the Spirit. And finally, uh, spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit. And we'll take those in turn. And, uh, and may the Lord be pleased 
uh, with, with what we see and learn and how we worship him uh, because of it. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 2. This is where we begin today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When we read it, we'll start in verse 10. But I want to give you just a bit of a run-up to the section that we'll read. Paul here uh, has been uh, describing uh, the nature and the resources of his ministry, that they're all from God. They're not from human wisdom or ingenuity or eloquence. Um, and uh, what he is fighting against, actually, is, is an error in the church at Corinth where uh, people had come to know the Lord through the ministry of, of him or through Apollos or through Peter. And so people were claiming some sort of spiritual heritage of an individual. Say, well, you know, I'm, Peter is you know, my spiritual father. or Well, Paul is mine. And, uh, and Paul is fighting against that. He's pushing back um, to, to bring the point to everyone that, that it is the God working through the Holy Spirit uh, regardless of who the, the, the human mouthpiece might be. Uh, so you can see some of these uh, things in, in chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, Paul says, listen, uh, we, we preached not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And uh, the second half of chapter 1, he, Paul speaks of using the folly of preaching. Um, to call the foolish, the low, the despised, so that anyone who's going to boast about their spiritual heritage would be boasting only in the Lord, uh, not, not in some human. Chapter 2, he continues uh, reminding them that, that he came uh, not with lofty speech or wisdom. Uh, instead of being a know-it-all, he declares himself to be a know-nothing. Right? I knew nothing among you. Uh, except for Christ and him crucified. That's verse 2. Uh, declares that he came in, in weakness, fear, and trembling. So for those who were seeking a personality, a strong, vital leader to follow at a human level, this would be really disappointing, uh, right? <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, and he continues, verses 4 and 5, that he came not with words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of spirit and power. And then, in verses 6 to 9, uh, Paul turns this, and we realize that all along, as he's been speaking of folly and foolishness and not coming in wisdom, he's been making fun of human wisdom and, and calling what, what preachers do as folly in the world's eyes because he tells us in verse 6, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age, right? And now he is, he's on a different track where he's expanding uh, our understanding of, of what he is uh, getting at by speaking of, well, there is, in this folly of preaching, there's real wisdom. It's just a wisdom that the world can't understand. So that's our run-up to, uh, to verses 10 through 16, as we're going to talk about uh, the illumination uh, by the Spirit. So, here we go. Starting in verse 10 then of uh, 1 Corinthians 2. 
These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Okay. And I think I've given you um, this progression, uh, these, these, these three things, revelation, I have that in your notes, right? Revelation and understanding and inspiration and illumination. And, and in this little section, we have a really a wonderful progression that I'd like to just walk through uh, briefly with you of how the Spirit works in the church, uh, how, it, how he worked in the lives of Paul and the apostles and now as well in all who would come after. So first, in, in verses 10 and 11, Paul names the Holy Spirit as the agent of revelation, right? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. This wisdom of God is revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, um, lest we immediately go to the 21st century, uh, the us that Paul is speaking of here is not you and me. It, it, it is Paul and the apostles who, who are teaching. And the, uh, you can see that uh, because if you start back in verse 6, yet among the mature we do impart a wisdom, right? Um, verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden, hidden wisdom um, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So there's a, there's a we-ness here of the, the apostles who are teaching and leading, who are receiving um, these things revealed to them, um, as opposed to verse 8, um, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, right, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So, so Paul is setting up a, a we-they between, between he and the apostles as the we-ness or the us-ns and and the rulers of this age as the they. Okay. Um, next, Paul points out through a rhetorical question uh, something that's, that's pretty clear to all of us, right? And, and that is, who knows what I'm thinking except me, right? right? Who knows what Dan Wolfhard is thinking right now? Dan. That's... He's, he's the only so so it is evidently clear that when the spirit 
is revealing things to Paul and to other teachers, he's perfectly suited for the job because the Spirit being God himself knows the depths, you know, can plumb the depths of the wisdom of God in a way that, that no one else can. Okay. All right. So that's revelation, and Paul is just He's just laying out the case for us there that this is what the Holy Spirit has done and is doing. Um, it, well, is doing as this is being written uh, before to the, or being written by the apostle. Um, the same thing that the Spirit has done historically through prophets and others. So on to verse 12 and 13 then. Paul now names the Holy Spirit as the agent of understanding and inspiration. So again, um, he's, let me read those two verses again for us. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So not only are these things revealed by the spirit, but, but the spirit is giving understanding. And through that understanding... Then, verse 13, we, again the apostle, impart this, right? So now, now I'm teaching, I'm, I'm writing letters to the church. So this, these spiritual thoughts and concepts that have been revealed by the Holy Spirit are being translated by the Holy Spirit in the mind of the apostle, turned into words for the benefit of the body. In this case, the, the body at Corinth. Okay. See, notice as well uh, the transition in the middle of verse 13. Um, Paul goes from sort of the, the we teachers to those who are receiving uh, this. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Right? So now we see the, the transmission of, of God's words from the apostle to the believers, those who are spiritual. Um, and so we're, we're seeing um, right before us, we don't, we don't think about this as a, an inspiration of scripture text, kind of is. Yeah, even though the words that he's talking about are probably his spoken words. Um, otherwise, he would have said the writings. We impart this, these writings. But it's fair enough to think of it as both. But, but still, it's the same thing that it is, it is the Holy Spirit moving along in the life of Paul to impart uh, these things, interpreting those spiritual truths to those whose minds are ready to receive. Now verses 14 through 16, illumination. This is where we get involved, right? That, uh, and uh, it begins with a contrast, right? That the, those who are without the Spirit, the natural person, note that there is, there is both an, an aspect of the will and an aspect of ability. The, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them. So this, this uh, is, is an echo of, of Romans 8, 
I think it's verse 7 of, of the, you know, the, the mindset on the flesh does not please God. In fact, it cannot, right? So it's, it's the same thing here, that there's, there's not only an inability, there's an unwillingness set in the natural mind. It's a, also a Romans 1.18 that the truth is before them, but it is suppressed in unrighteousness. But the person uh, with the Spirit has the ability to receive uh, these spiritual truths and to love them. And this is, the, this is part of what the Holy Spirit is, does in the life of the believer. Right? We have a mind that now these things that we hear or read are illuminated. You know, and and uh, every one of you, I suspect will resonate with this, depending upon when you became a believer, right, that, you know, I read the Bible and I heard sermons, right, for, for years and years, and then one day, it's like this thing just came alive. It's just, it's just like, it's just like, wow, was that always there? And, 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 and I love it, and I get it, I understand that I fail at it every day, but I love this thing. I love reading this. And, and it is precious to me where before it just simply wasn't. Right? Well, that, that is, that's the Holy Spirit not only saving you but illuminating. That's why it's a beautiful word. Right? Just, right? The light is shown. Uh, well, it's in our hearts, but it's shining on the text. And we now understand. We can see with eyes that we couldn't see before. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's that's um, all we're going to cover in this in this section because we've got more to go. But you'll see there are other texts, including uh, Psalm one nineteen eighteen, which I read as part of our prayer this morning that I think will be helpful down that same pathway for you. So next, let's, uh, let's go on and speak of the unity of the Spirit. So if you'd turn over, if you haven't already, to Ephesians 4. We're going to settle in there for just a little bit. Ephesians 4, the first six verses of that passage... I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, so in Ephesians, Ephesians has six chapters. The first three are primarily uh, doctrine, uh, teachings, indicatives. This is true, this is true, this is true. And the last three chapters are primarily uh, imperatives, commands, 
And, and verse 1 of chapter 4 is that hinge uh, for, for this book. And uh, so when Paul begins this chapter by saying, therefore, right, he's, he is looking back on all these um, great truths that have already been stated, and we looked at a, a bunch of those actually last week, uh, that, that uh, the, the Holy Spirit is a seal and guarantee that we've been blessed uh, in the heavenlies. All right, so therefore, his big idea is to urge us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. At which point, we just get a little deflated. If you're like me, I think, wow, <laughs> I understand the calling with which I've been called. I have no way that I can understand in any way that I can walk worthy. Um, and it gets worse, because this is not just a one-time uh, deal. Colossians 1.10 uh, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. First Thessalonians 2.12, uh, to walk in a manner worthy of God. And Philippians 1.27, we're called to uh, let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so uh, we can have this response like, hmm, I thought that was the point, that I'm not worthy. Uh, and, and so how can I walk worthy, right? And uh, so one, one thing, first of all, that we need to get straight is what, what does this really mean? What's, what's Paul after when he says walk in a manner worthy, right? So we're not trying to earn God's favor. We understand that, right? Uh, we, are, we are not walking in such a way that we are in fear that that, that calling will be somehow ripped away, pulled out from underneath us um, with God, you know, keeping score with, with how we're walking. But it is meant to get our, our attention. It's, it's meant to, to urge us to consider and to believe everything that Paul has thus far written in Ephesians, to rejoice in it and in a response of gratitude and obedience, love those things, and be who we are, right? Put, the, put away those things that are, that are not part of our life anymore and to live yeah, in a manner that is in alignment with, that is appropriate for a follower of Christ. Okay. So Paul goes on, and starts to give us some details that are helpful um, in verses 2 and 3. gives us four characteristics of this walk, and then two observable outcomes. These, these four characteristics um, are humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Starting to sound a little bit like the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and they, they result in, uh, first, a humble, loving, bearing with one another that prefers the other, that seeks the best for the other, and an eagerness to maintain unity in peace. Okay, 
and, uh, and you probably already guessed that maintaining the unity of the Spirit is, is sort of our focus in this passage. So we want to talk about that a bit more. Um, so the worthy walk um, is not just happy for unity to just show up or, to, or begrudgingly does whatever it needs to do to, to maintain unity, right? But we're called to be eager, right? There, there, is, an, there is an anticipation uh, that we should have um, when we come together, when, when I'm um, going to interact with a brother or sister in Christ, it should be an intentionality in my mind to do whatever I can do to maintain unity in the spirit and maintain peace in that relationship. So it's not, it's not just an, an accidental whatever that just, that just sort of happened and well, I'm glad that, you know, glad that topic didn't come up and we didn't have a row over that, but that I'm actually working um, to maintain peace and unity. So there's a diligence, uh, a readiness, not just doing this out of duty. Um, second, and, and this is obvious by the words, but, but we're called not to create unity. God already did this, right? Through, through what we see in verses uh, 4 through 6, uh, Paul's trying to make that clear, right? He's, he's switched from commands to statements again, right? There's one body, one spirit. You're called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, right? So he, Paul is saying, God has taken care of creating the unity. You don't need to create it. We don't need to figure out things that we have in common, right? Um, outside of Christ to figure out how to be unified. Um, so so here's, a, here's an exercise for us to do. If you just stand up with me briefly, this won't take long. And if I mention something that doesn't apply to you, sit down, okay? I'm a man. If you're not a man, sit down. I am between 40 and 65 years old. If you are not, sit down. See, I, still, I get to learn things about some of you all as well, right? I'm a grandfather. If you're not a grandfather, sit down. Okay, so now I have one, two, three, four, five, six. There's Denny. Jason, you're sitting, right? Okay, all right. Thank you. <laughs> um, I have lived here less than five years. And I love ice fishing. Right, so, so I, have, I have no one that I can be unified with, right? So, so you, you get the point? If we look to those things, think about, even if I'd stopped just after the first thing, right? I've, I've, I've given up unity with everyone who is female in this body of Christ, right? This is not what we're called to. Right? We're called to preserve and maintain the unity that already exists. Okay, thank you for indulging in that. All right, Paul has already mentioned this as well uh, back in Ephesians 2. Just go to the left uh, a bit with me. Ephesians 2, verses 17 to 22, he's already stated this. 
and he tells us where it came from. And this is helpful. Ephesians 2, starting in 17. And he came, that is Christ, he came and preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, from that passage, I just want you to see these together words that are true, right? Uh, that we are fellow citizens with one another. We are built into a household. We're joined together. We grow and are built together. And then there, there are words of singularity, right? that God is building a household on a foundation from a cornerstone he is building a structure, a temple, a dwelling place, singular. Not, you know, the four tribes within uh, Calvary uh, who, you know, this group you know, really strongly believes about this and, and this group believes this and these people are just sort of ambivalent about these other topics. That is not what pleases the Lord. Um, but, but that we are unified despite how we might agree or disagree on particular uh, you know, manners of life, or even even some tertiary doctrines. Um, so, all to say, um, Paul's laid laid this out this wonderful picture of Christ, not only bringing together Jew and Gentile, but bringing man to God, right? Bringing peace, bringing this unity, and our job, as it's laid out in Ephesians four is to not mess it up. Right? That's, our, that's our job. Yeah, not mess it up. Okay. Um, quickly on verses 4 through 6. I want, I, we already, I already read that and pointed out the oneness, but see that verse 4. This is, this is a beautiful Trinitarian little passage here, right? Verse 4 one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Verse 5, Jesus, the Son. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, the Father. One God and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Beautiful Trinitarian little gem right there, uh, tucked in those three verses of 4 through 6. Okay. That is, uh, that's the end of this um, chunk, but re rejoice, rejoice in the unity that God has already established in Christ for us, and, and seek to intentionally uh, maintain that, preserve that, grow it, uh, rejoice in it. Okay. All right. So we're on to gifts of the Spirit. And uh, so 1 Corinthians 12 is where we're heading next. And as we uh, turn there and get ready to read uh, verses 4 through 11, 
Just one, one thing that I want to, I think it will help us as we talk about this topic, is to not necessarily have your eye towards, hey, let's just, it's time to make a detailed inventory of, of individual gifts and, and work our way through, you know, this one, that one, is this one still working, is that, do I have that one? But, but really, we want to focus in our time that's left on the source, the nature, and the purposes of spiritual gifts more broadly, and, and that, that exploration will be worth our time. So, second, um, I want you to see the first two words, if you have an ESV, the first two words of chapter 12. Paul says, now concerning spiritual things, it is, it's actually not spiritual gifts, but the context makes it clear that he's talking about spiritual gifts. Now concerning this, it's a formula you'll see through 1 Corinthians over and over and over again, and it indicates, um, like he, he's talked about elsewhere in chapter 7 and 10 and 11, um, probably responding either to questions that they've already written to him, hey, help us understand this situation for the married and the unmarried. Help us understand things about how we should you know, uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. Or he's responding to their actual uh, misbehavior, their sin in, in, in this way. And it probably, the, the way he excoriates them later, uh, it, it probably is the latter uh, that, that Paul is writing uh, in, in this way. So, Let's get verses uh, 4 through 11, and then we'll come back through them. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I'm just going to read that verse one more time, because that's everyone. Good one. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay. Our time is rapidly evaporating, um, and this itself could be another uh, several weeks, but... I want, to, I want us to see the big pictures here in verses 4 to 6 that Paul is pointing out <clears throat> that there are various gifts and activities and service, but there's one spirit, right, um, that regardless of what that gift or activity or service is, it, is, it has one source, and that is in God. Um, the Holy Spirit who, who gives these, who empowers these. Okay. And uh, notice, if you would, verse 6. It is the same God, at the, at the, very, the very end of that verse, of varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. 
So there, there is an inclusion here. If you are in Christ, uh, if you are a follower of Christ, guess what? You have spiritual gifts that are empowered. This is not a thing that you sort of sign up for separately. Um, it has been given and empowered. Uh, it might just be that it hasn't been yet discovered or exercised. Um, so, verse 7, <clears throat> uh, to each, again, Paul is, is uh, emphasizing universal nature of this, that, that when a gift is given, every time it's given, it is given as a manifestation of the Spirit. It is, it is God making himself known in some way. Um, and the purpose is for what here from that verse? For the common good, right? So, so a spiritual gift, no matter what it is, is to be employed in the service of others or of all, uh, not selfishly, uh, not to bring attention to oneself in any way. Uh, verses uh, 8 through 10, again, we're not going to go through the, the laundry list of the gifts, but I do want you to see uh, in verses 8 and 9 uh, the unity of these, right? That they are through the Spirit, according to the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit. And finally, in verse 11, Paul emphasizes one more time that each and every one of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions them or do distributes them to each one individually as he wills. So we see God's sovereignty through the Spirit in the distribution of spiritual gifts. Um, so, so again, uh, you, have, you have them. Uh, you don't need to fight for them, but you, you may need to discover them. Uh, you might be sitting on a few that you haven't exercised. They might be uh, gathering cobwebs in your life right now, um, but, but they are there. You just, you know, we don't, we don't get a, a card, right, at, at, uh, at the time we're saved to say, okay, well, here's, here's your spiritual gifts. Go, you know, this is, this is what I'm enabled to do. We just go find out. You know, and, and we bump our forehead into a several walls and get bruises and think, okay, I was really bad at that, um, so I won't do that again. Or, or I'll try and I'll try to be better uh, until, you know, eventually a brother or sister will come along and say, um, brother, you're trying really hard and thank you. We love your spirit. Uh, have you ever considered doing this? <laughs> so, um, okay. Um, a bit on, on the gifts as service. Um, as you turn to 1 Peter 4, it is important and useful for us to remember, and, or at least note, that in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, which are sort of the two classic lists of gifts passages, both of those are connected intimately 
with passages that talk about body life, right? One body, many members. Right? So this, that should inform how we think about gifts, as does 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, which reads, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Do you, you see that there again? Singular God who is giving gifts, varied gifts, services, activities, or varied grace um, to be used to serve others. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so the, the take-home here is, is, I think, fairly straightforward, but worth remembering as we think about gifts as service. Um, we have the responsibility with our spiritual gifts to serve one another in this horizontal dimension and the responsibility to glorify God with them as well. And if we find ourselves, you know, just holding up the mirror, adoring our spiritual gifts, right, or turning a spotlight on ourselves of, of whatever it is that we do or have or are, then we're failing. We're sinning. Let's just use a Bible word. We're sinning, right? Um, and so keep your eye on that. What, where, what are my motives? How am I working uh, for the benefit of others? All right, <clears throat> bring this uh, in with gifts as signs, which also does, mention, does refer to the sign gifts, but, but I want to speak more broadly about gifts as signs. Remember in verse 7 of, of 1 Corinthians 12, we talked about that, that these gifts are manifestation of the Spirit. They are signs, and what do signs do? They point to other things, Right? street sign out here that says El Campo Avenue is not El Campo Avenue. It's telling you where you can find El Campo Avenue, right? I made a sign for today, right? And if you saw this on a wall, what would you say? What would you say in your mind? <laughs> I would say, of what? You're a sign of what? I mean, if, if I am, I'm a sign, a, a sign is a sign of something else. It's not about itself, right? So this, this teaches us as well, uh, just that the word is used, that, that the gift as a manifestation of the Spirit is not about the gift. It's pointing to God who empowers these things in us. Okay. Signs uh, have been used this way throughout the Bible. Um, Exodus 4. Moses doesn't know what to do. <laughs> He's like, if I go to the Israelites, they're going to say, God didn't send you. What, you know, and what does God do? Gives him three signs. Right? Throw your staff on the ground, turns into a snake, put your hand in your cloak, it comes out leprous. If they don't believe those two, well, then just scoop up a bowl of water and pour it out on the ground, and it will become blood. Right? So these signs weren't about Moses 
doing any of these things, but it was to authenticate that he was a messenger from God. <clears throat> and this is where these other scriptures get us to. Go with me, if you would, to John 20, verses 30 and 31. John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here again, John tells us why the signs, why the wonders, why the miracles that are recorded. It's, it's so that people will believe. It's to authenticate Jesus as the Messiah that the people had been waiting for. <clears throat> Over to Acts chapter 2, which is a short walk from John 20. Pentecost. And uh, right, verse, verse 12 is where we'll start. You know the story, the rushing wind, the tongues of divided fire. And here comes the question in verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? It's a sign. It's a sign. How does Peter answer that question eventually in his sermon? He tells them down in verse 17, sorry, 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, that in the last days it shall be God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men will see visions, old men shall dream dreams, even on male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. That God has poured out his spirit uh, on people, all sorts of people from everywhere around the known world has happened. And these, the, 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 the tongues, the known languages that were spoken that these Galileans didn't know, it's a sign of what God was beginning to do to fulfill the call that he had, that Jesus had given, that they would, that these people would be their, his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Okay. It is impossible to get where I wanted to get in three minutes. But go, to, go with me to 2 Corinthians 12. Paul here is defending uh, the authenticity of his own ministry against some he, he, he sort of makes fun of as, as super apostles. They were, they were false apostles. But I want you to see what uh, Paul says in verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Okay, And so <clears throat> here Paul is reminding that same Corinthian church where we started, 1 Corinthians 4, um, 
what they had seen, what they had witnessed, which lent validity to his message as an apostle. Okay, and so that's what the signs that they saw meant and were. Okay, and finally, in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, go with, there, go with me there if you would. After spending all of Hebrews chapter 1 telling us how amazing Jesus is, greater than all of the Old Testament prophets, greater than angels, greater than everything, now the author writes to us and writes to the, the, the Hebrews, says in verse 1, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This greater message of Jesus, from Jesus. And here we have, in the middle of uh, verse 3, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So here again, I just want you to see that the purpose of the gifts, of the signs, of the wonders, the miracles, are signs. They're, they're not a thing necessarily in and of themselves, but they point elsewhere. They point to the God who empowers them and to the truth that was transmitted to us by the apostles who were empowered with these signs. All right, our, uh, our time is up. There's more that I uh, wanted to say, but uh, I hope that you're encouraged um, to be reminded of the illumination of the Spirit, uh, the unity that we have in the Spirit, and that you'll be encouraged to hunger to uh, exercise the gifts of the Spirit that uh, you already have. Um, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Spirit uh, you give freely uh, to all who come to Christ. And we pray, God, that the, these words of yours uh, would be beneficial to our souls that we would seek to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that uh, we would seek to worship you in spirit and truth in all things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.